And now the scripture reading from the gospel according to John, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, and then verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May he add his blessing to it as we consider it tonight. As I stated this morning, uh, Pastor Daniel will begin next Sunday, Lord willing, in the evening, a series through First John uh, in that letter by the Apostle John. And so really to get a good introduction to First John, we should become familiar with his gospel and in particular the prologue which we just read here. And John's prologue to his gospel account of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is setting the stage for all that he lays out in this book. He lays out the main themes here and the dominant metaphors that he later fleshes out in his book. But his main aim is to introduce us to who Jesus is. In this book, he wants us to behold by faith Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, the Christ, our Savior. And what better way to begin this year than by starting out with him who was at the beginning of all things. In fact, him who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega. And so that is what we'll consider tonight. And three points I want to bring out from this text. First, the word at the beginning. Secondly, the word in time and space. And thirdly, the word at the end. Now, our first point, the word at the beginning, will be our longest point if you're keeping track. Our last two points will be quite brief. But in these first opening lines here, John masterfully shows us how Jesus is both the fulfillment of God's revelation that he gave to the Jews in the Old Testament and also the fulfillment of the philosophical searchings of the Greeks. And I want to show that to us here. In the beginning, this first opening line, it's kind of like a hyperlink that's connecting us back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1-1, where we read, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John wants us to think about that, right? And John tells us here that at that explosive moment when the intelligent creator God brought all things into an orderly existence, time, space, and matter. There was the Word, the Word. Now, for a Jew, this meant that God created all things by means of his powerful Word, which, as we heard this morning from Isaiah 55, does not return to him void, but always accomplishes God's purposes. And so God, by his word, created all things. The creation of the universe is the creation of the word of God. And John tells us in verse 3 that all things were made 
through him, that is, the word, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so you think of this, that the word set into motion the beginning of all creation. Everything except God himself was made by the word. Think of this, kind of imagine it without a picture of him, that there above and before anything existed stood the eternal word of God. There, in the very, very, very beginning. What is more, for the Jewish people, God's word was also the fullest self-disclosure of God to his people. It was the way that he made himself known to the people of Israel. He spoke us into being in the beginning. Why? In order to speak to us, to communicate himself to us. And he does that by his word, which we have in written form. And the Jewish people, Israel, had the written word of God, which revealed himself to them. And therefore, the Jews sought eternal life from God in the scriptures. And John here says of the word in verse four, in him, the word, was life. And the life was the light of men. And so this is the way the Jewish mindset would have been first grappling with these ideas. Then the big shock for the Jewish mind is that John gives this word personal pronouns. He and him. The word, therefore, is a person distinct from God the Father, yet at the same time, very God. And we find that in the very opening line, the word was with God and the word was God. And so on the one hand, mysteriously, the word is a distinct person. And yet on the other hand, he is the same essence as God himself. And John here is revealing to our finite minds the mystery of the Holy Trinity, that there has always existed one God and three persons, namely the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we know that the word that John is speaking of here is the Son of God, because that's what he says in verse 14. He says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So what John is trying to show to us is that Jesus is therefore the Son of God by whom all things were created. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is also the greatest self-revelation of God to mankind. He is the exegesis of God. He has drawn out who God is and revealed him to us. Therefore, eternal life is found in him and through him, not ultimately the scriptures. And that's why John later tells us what Jesus said to the Jewish teachers of his day in John 5, saying, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. In him was life. The life was the light of men. And now all of this that we've covered so far spoke very much to the heart of the Jewish reader as they were acquainted with the Old Testament, the Torah, showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of their concept of the word of God. But John masterfully here shows how Jesus also fulfills all the searching of the Greek philosophers. He's 
speaking also to the heart of his Greek readers, showing them how he fulfills their idea of what is called the word, the logos, logos. The Greek term here used for word is logos. And if you're sitting at a table with Greek philosophers in ancient times, this was the heaviest word that you could drop in there to kind of get credibility and to, you know, everyone would be on the same page. You would drop the word logos. Already in John's day, this word logos had been around for hundreds of years and philosophers had used it to refer to this divine reason or divine principle that pervades and upholds and orders the entire universe. The Greek philosopher Pythagoras, who lived in the 6th century BCE, is also the one who's known for the Pythagorean theorem in geometry with triangles and squares, etc. So he's the guy who coined that idea, made it explicit. But he's also considered the first Greek philosopher to use the term logos in this way. He saw the logos as the source of all knowledge, all wisdom, all beauty and harmony in the world. And he believed that it could be accessed through contemplation and meditation. Pythagoras believed one could discover the existence of this logos by examining the intricate patterns and proportions of the natural world, which is why, in part, we see him meditating and thinking about the different angles and sides and lengths of a square and triangles, etc. The logos, in his mind, was this primal substance of all of life. In other words, their idea for what is God. Now, another Greek philosopher by the name of Heraclitus in the 6th century is also known for making progress with understanding Logos. And according to his teaching, the Logos is this creative force behind all things and the eternal source of unity and order in the universe. And so this is a very old concept within and among the Greeks. And later, Plato developed it even further in different ways. And of course... Think of this, without guidance from God's self-revelation in his written word, the Greek philosophers were only able to study what? The natural world, which is an open book, which reveals things about God, his power, his, his ability to design beauty and bring order, intricacy to life, etc. But as they studied the natural world, they were like feeling for God in the dark. And Paul kind of uses that language in Acts chapter 17. We can say that they were getting close to the truth, but the revelation of God was not yet shared with the nations. And until that point, when God's word and self-disclosure went out to the nations with the preaching of the gospel, they could not come to know the Logos personally. And then here steps John onto the scene, into the philosopher's circle, so to speak, and he declares, and the Logos became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. That claim had to have knocked their sandals off. Seriously. This was radical. This was crazy. John is claiming masterfully to show how Jesus fulfilled the everything that the Greeks were, were most searching for, their highest aspirations in their thinking. And he shows how the one hand, Jesus fulfills the Jewish expectations and understanding of the word of God. 
And on the other hand, he also fulfills what the Greeks were so long longing for and searching after in their philosophy. And in that, we see here, just in these opening five verses, how John is the simplest gospel to read, and yet it is so profound. Under that simple surface is so much depth of meaning and insight. And so I like to say that John is simply profound. Now, as we've considered the, t- the word who was at the beginning now, briefly our last two points, we see the word in time and space. John tells us here that the word at the beginning took on flesh and dwelt among us. That eternal logos, the creator who seemed impossibly far away, removed, out of reach, came in human history. He came near to us. Not only did he speak to us from the other side of the veil, so to speak, from kind of the metaphysical realm of heaven speaking across from it. No, he actually crossed that threshold and became part of his creation. He became a man for us. And again, this is mind-boggling. This is wild claim that John is making here, and it's a bit lost on us because we're so familiar with the idea of the incarnation of the Son of God, which we just celebrated at Christmas. But it is truly astonishing. Now, why? Why would the Lagos choose to dirty himself with the material world? Why would he take on flesh, which was a very dirty word for the uh, Greek philosophers? They wanted to escape the material world. They wanted to escape their flesh. They thought that the higher level of existence is beyond the material world. And so the idea of the Lagos becoming flesh is scandalous. Why? Well, Because the Lagos is not an impersonal divine principle, but rather a divine person of love who chose to come in love for us. In love, God sent his son into the world to redeem us, to give us eternal life so that we would not perish, but have life in and through him. The arrival of the Son of God in time and in space, the Logos, here for us, proves that we need something beyond aligning ourselves with the commandments of God in the Old Testament in order to find life and salvation. That we need something beyond intellectually attuning our mind to the divine principle of life in order to find true fulfillment. Rather, what we need is to get to know by faith the person of Jesus Christ. Getting to know him by faith is the answer for how we find salvation and life. And that's why he came. And that's why John says at the end of his gospel, these are written, all these this account of Jesus, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's why he came, so that we might have life in his name, not by aligning ourselves with principles or trying to obey in order to achieve eternal life, but getting to know Jesus and through his perfect work, finding salvation and eternal life. And so at the we, we considered first the word at the beginning, who came as the word in time and space. And lastly, we find that he is the word at the end. And look again at chapter 1. Verse 5 there, where John says, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. John does not say here that the light shined in the darkness, referring to the past, but he says the light shines in the darkness. Present tense. 
Currently, the light of the word, the light of the logos, the light of Jesus is shining. Why? Well, John says, because the darkness did not overcome it. Past tense. The darkness could not beat Jesus when he arrived. And here John is using the metaphors of light and darkness. Light refers to goodness, the beauty of life. And darkness refers to all that is wicked and ugly, the corruption of sin which leads to death. But the Logos who became flesh was not destroyed by death. The light beat the darkness when Jesus rose again from the dead, victorious over sin and death for us. And that's why John says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 8, the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Now, all this language, even there in verse 5 of the Gospel of John in chapter 1, it's referring to this, this change, so to speak. That from the, the point of Jesus' resurrection from the dead onward, there's a dawning of a new creation, new life. The light continues to shine and will continue to shine for all of eternity. And the darkness is already passing away. At the beginning of time and space, we can say that there stood the word, the word before and above all of creation. And think of this, outside of the empty tomb of Jesus stood again the word before and above the new creation for us. And so Jesus is the one who is able powerfully to create all things out of nothing as he did in the very beginning. And think of this as well. He promises to powerfully recreate us, our souls and our bodies even. From dust and ashes, from death itself, he is able to recreate us because he is the Lagos, the word of God, the word who became flesh and beat death for us. And the darkness did not overcome the light. And the light shines today. And so Jesus is that first word. And he is also the last word. As Jesus says in the book of Revelation about himself, I am the Alpha and Omega the first and the last, the beginning and the end. And so friends, loved ones, uh, let's seek and find more of Jesus together this year in our worship together each Lord's Day, in our fellowship gatherings, in our Bible studies, in our devotional times as we read God's word privately. Let us continue to pursue a greater understanding of who Jesus is. Let us study the Bible and find him who is the word at the beginning, him who is the word who entered into time and space, and him who is the word at the end. And here's the good news. As we continue pursuing to know Jesus more and more, as John says in verse 14, the more that we get to know Jesus, the more we will find what? That he is full of what? Grace and truth. That is good news for us as we pursue him this year. Amen. Let us pray.